0: Good morning. Our reading today will be from Second John. We'll be reading the whole book. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1025. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Steve Leskier. Me and my wife Joy have been attending here for about 20 years, and our kids Jace, Brantley, Lexi, and Hadley attend with us as well. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of jesus christ in the flesh such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for but many will but may win a full reward everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of christ does not have god whoever abides in the teaching has both the father and the son If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you your grace in our lives. We ask that you would bless us now as we consider this passage together. Would you guide Jason as he preaches? Would you free us from any distraction, make us attentive and ready to hear what you would have to say to us now? In the name of Christ we pray, amen.
1: Uh, If someone were to ask you, can you hear me all right? Am I good? All right. If someone were to ask you, What is more important, being truthful or loving? What would your answer be? (laughs) (laughs) You're cheating. All right. Yeah, you got the answers. All right. Imagine, if you will, that some folks in a small village discover a treasure map. And the map says that the treasure is buried in the heart of a thick forest. That thick forest is filled with all kinds of scary creatures, treacherous climbs, rivers to cross. But when they get to the place, oh my, what a a glorious treasure they would find. Treasure that is impossibly valuable and never runs out. Enough to make everyone in the whole world rich. And when they see how much... Treasure is there and how wonderful it is. Uh, They think to themselves, we need to tell everyone about this treasure. And so they do. They navigate the thick forest again. They go back to their homes and they tell everyone. All in their village listen intently and excitedly. And they all go through the thick forest. And they all go through its treacherous terrain. And they too rejoice in the treasure. Enough to supply all their needs and more. This goes on for a whole generation. But in the next generation, some people in the village decide that this treasure story is a bit uh, ridiculous or maybe cumbersome, needed some tweaking. So these people decide to change the story a little bit. They say, "Uh, you pay us, other villagers, and we will tell you the real story of the treasure, a different truth no need to go through the forest. No need to face those obstacles. Just stay here and wait. The treasure will come to you eventually. We'd hate to see you have to go through such pain when there's another way. as time went by, the treasure sat untouched. And the village people sat waiting for a treasure that would never come. The treasure map had been hidden And these people were left wanting. Does truth matter? Does truth matter? We live in a world of uh, my truth and your truth and their truth. But I ask you this morning, is there such a thing as truth? Is there an objective truth? that dictates reality, independent of how we feel or what we think. Is truth a real thing? What do you think? And if, by the way, you answer no, just need to tell you, if you're here this morning and your, your gut reaction is no, there's not one truth, you understand that by saying that you're stating a truth. And maybe a truth that dictates everything else in your life. This week, and Lord willing, in two weeks, Steve Mosley and I will be covering 2nd and 3rd John. Two brief letters that are extremely concerned with the truth. Jesus himself said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. In the person of Jesus Christ, we find truth itself personified. John wrote these letters most likely while he was in Ephesus, and they were meant to be distributed among the local churches in Asia Minor. John is extremely concerned with the preservation of the truth, for in the truth is the only hope of the world. Now the introduction in this letter is from the Elder." Did you notice that? As Steve was reading? "The Elder." 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, I believe, I I think I checked on this, I believe they are the only epistles in the New Testament that lack a name in the greeting. The name of the writer is not mentioned. Uh, We believe that they were written by the Apostle John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the one whom Jesus loved, because that was the agreed-upon author very early in church history, including among those who actually knew John personally, affirmed, that he wrote this letter. Uh, we see many literary similarities between these letters and the Gospel of John, the writing style, the word choices. If you've, uh, I am uh, what you would say far from a Greek scholar. Uh, but when we did Greek, okay, me and Larry, we did some Greek together. We were experts uh, for about you know, six months, Larry was, and uh, when we did Greek, certainly the book you would most hope to get for translation homework was one of John's books, uh, because it was written in the most basic style. You, you read Paul's writing in Greek, and it's all Greek to me. Uh, John, you can, you can get a feel for John. He wrote as, as a common man. And 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John uh, are very similar in that way to John's gospel. There's no reason to doubt that he is the true author. And then John addresses the the elect lady. Again, another interesting uh, start to the letter. Uh, Who is the elect lady? There are differing views on this, but I'd say it's likely that he's referring to a local church. It's common in Scripture to see the church referred to in a feminine way, the bride, the lady, as she Uh, In the context of John's letter, it seems strange to think that he would be corresponding to one specific woman and her children, and then also at the end of the letter referencing her elect sister. Uh, It doesn't seem to make sense. It makes more sense to me that John is speaking to a local church and having this letter and these letters be distributed among other local churches. Brothers and sisters... The Lord loves his bride. The Lord Jesus died for his bride. The gates of hell will not prevail against his bride. But Satan and his emissaries will try. They will fight to the death. And John writes to remind the church that they are engaged in a battle for the truth. And they must hold the line. This morning, I want us to consider four things from Second John. Truth's importance, truth's walk, truth's enemies, and truth's rewards. So truth's importance, truth's walk, truth's enemies, truth's rewards. The forest is treacherous, no doubt. But if you lose the truth, you lose the treasure. Joy Community Fellowship of Pittman, we too have a treasure to offer. Let's listen to John's words today. Kids, I I got a task for you. I've already said this word like 72 times during this message. But now from this point forward, can you keep track of how many times I say the word truth in the rest of this sermon? And then you need to come and tell me afterwards how many you got. I know the exact number. I don't. That's true. So, whatever you tell me, I'll probably believe. But, but I want you to keep track of how many times you hear the word truth from this point forward. A quick reading of 2 John reveals the centrality of truth as the theme of the letter. The word itself is used five times in, 12, in 13 verses. Then we have some version of the word command used four times. We have the the phrase, the teaching, used another three times. So we have 12 times in 13 verses, something along these lines is referenced. When I asked at the beginning, and didn't fool any of you, which was more important, telling the truth or loving someone, many of you clearly thought, how can you love someone apart from telling them the truth? Love and truth are not enemies. They're partners, right? Truth is the basis of our love. John says it here to start the letter. Whom I love in truth. The truth is the foundation of John's love for them. And he is telling them the truth is his display. Uh, his telling them the truth is his display of love for them. Right? Right? When we love people, we tell them what is true, right? People who do not tell the truth cannot simultaneously be labeled as loving. I'm not talking about the person who says, I just tell it like it is to justify treating everybody like garbage. Or the person who likes to share all their opinions and spout it as if it is the truth. That's not what we're talking about here. But what I am saying is that someone who withholds the truth from another is at best falling short in their love and at worst is actively harming that person. So you can't say I love you, but I'm not going to tell you what's true. John says that the truth is abides in believers, in verse 2, and will be with us forever. What we have now through the indwelling Holy Spirit and what we will rejoice in for all time is foundationally a truth and the truth. We who have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, cleansing from all unrighteousness, giving of righteousness, hope of life eternal, we will spend all of our days in glory, into eternity, rejoicing in a truth and rejoicing in the one who is the truth. John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples that they would be sanctified, how? In truth. Your word is truth, Jesus said. We will celebrate. We, we are our recipients of grace through a word of truth, which will preserve us forever, believers. John says in verse three that truth and love is the means by so, so listen, or look at verse three. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. In truth and love is the means by which we experience the grace, mercy, and peace of God. Do you notice anything unusual in that little blessing there in verse 3? Take a look at that verse. Anything stand out to you? Maybe slightly different from other blessings you might see in, in Scripture? I saw two things. First, the first thing I saw was he says grace, mercy, and peace. It's common to see grace and peace, uh, but here he says grace, mercy, and peace. We can rejoice, rejoice this morning, brothers and sisters, that uh, the truth and love of the gospel message offer grace, unmerited favor, and kindness. They offer, the gospel offers mercy. Why do we do? Well, I'm going to get to the confession time in a minute. The gospel offers mercy, pity. The withholding of what we deserve, the wrath that is deserved for our sin has been withheld through Christ. And peace, peace with God and peace with one another through the proclamation of the truth. These are the promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ these are the blessings for those who see God's great love and trust in His wonderful truth. I also noted in verse 3 that John said that these things will be with us. Did you see that word? Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. It's not a standard prayer or word of blessing, but almost a, it is a statement of fact that the Lord's grace, mercy, and peace Will be with all who are His. You need not wonder, brothers and sisters in Christ, if the mercy of God is still for you, if the grace of God is still for you, if the peace of God is still yours. In the truth of Christ, the answer is always yes. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you. And that offer stands for all who are listening right now. Grace is offered. Mercy is offered. Peace is offered through the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ for all who believe. A little side note. Why do, you, you know, you might see like, or maybe you're a visitor here, you would say Who's this guy think he is? He's standing up there, he's telling he's got the truth, and everybody who believes in it is okay, and everybody who doesn't believe in it is not okay. Who's he? I bank everything I've got, everything I'm saying this morning, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I believe that Jesus, we believe that Jesus was truly raised from the dead physically. That he died and on the third day he was raised again. And I believe and we believe that because he was raised, everything that we see in his word and everything that is said about him is true. We also believe that if he was not raised from the dead, then we are the most pitiful gathering of people on earth. But, in fact, he has been raised from the dead. What a joy it was for John and what a joy it is for all faithful elders and pastors to hear that their people are walking in the truth, remaining in the truth, resting in the truth, the unchanged truth. I'm not going to get, so, you, so there's a couple of verses here I'd love to spend some time on, verse 4 and verse 12, where John rejoices that his people are walking in the truth. But I want to leave a little meat on the bone for Steve because 3 John is going to spend a large amount of focus on that particular topic. So I'm not going to spend any time, but I will say there is great joy for the pastor, for the elder who sees that his people are walking in the truth, remain in the truth. Another repeated word in this letter, one that I just said, at least in this one section, verses 4 through 6, is walk. So we're moving from Uh, truth's importance to truth's walk. And it's mentioned three times in verses 4 through 6. The people of God are called to be those who walk in the truth. What does John mean when he says walk in the truth? Well, I see three things. First, it simply means remaining in what is true, not moving on, not moving on to something false for the sake of convenience or fake love, not changing the truth. Walk in the truth means stay there. Don't move on. We'll get more into this point in the next section, but for now, it suffices to say that walking in the truth at base level means don't leave what is true. Don't depart from what is true. If you lose the truth, you lose all hope. There's great value to things like statements of faith, creeds, confessions, councils, etc. throughout church history to help us stay on the path of what is true. What does the church believe? What ought we teach? They provide guideposts to make sure that we are walking in the truth of Scripture together. So walking in truth means that. Uh, It also means the call to follow the commandments of God, right? We are called to walk according to His commandments. To walk in truth means to agree with God that His commandments are good. That walking in his ways is the way of life. Larry said this earlier, but I'm going to say it again. Why do we do these regular times of scripture reading, followed by confession, and then assurance of pardon for the believer? You know, it can, it can maybe come across, if you're here as a visitor, you might say, that, that is odd that you do that. And maybe for some who are regular attenders, like, why do we do this to ourselves every week? Why do we want to feel, make myself feel bad about myself again? No. The believer in Christ, who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, can simultaneously read the commands of God and have the following things happen. They can say, yes, these commands are good. God is so good for giving us commandments. So good for showing us the way that we ought to walk. Not as a means of earning his favor. That has all been earned by Christ. But as a way to show me what life will most honor him and be for my good. That is a really good thing of God, isn't it? That he gives us commands. That we could read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 6 this morning and say... Amen, I agree with you, God, that to walk in love would be the best way to live. And at the same time, what else happens in the heart of the believer when they read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6? What else happens? Conviction. If you read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6 this morning and said, all right, done, did it success. Show me another verse. That's concerning because at the same time that the word encourages us because we say we have a good God who gives us good commands. We also say, I fall short. I have not loved as I ought to. I want to, but I have not as I ought to. And then I say, okay, once again, I'm reminded, God, I need you. If I tried to rely on my own merits, I would fall woefully short. But praise God, I don't rely on my own merits. And I fall before the Lord and ask for his mercy and grace through Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sin and strength to live out what he calls me to live out more and more. I throw myself upon the mercies of God for the grace of forgiveness and the power to live differently. And I am reminded that God's answer is always in Jesus Christ. Yes, you are forgiven. And here I continue to supply all that you need for life and godliness. We do not do this to say that walking in God's ways is unimportant. Right? Like, that's okay. He's going to forgive you. Just do whatever you want. Quite the contrary. We are saying it's extremely important. Walking in God's commands means experiencing the full range of everything the commands of God do to the believer in Christ. And endeavoring in his strength to obey all that he tells us to do. Walking in truth also means that we see that the heart of all God's commands is a call to love. Love for God and love for one another. And you do not need to throw out the truth to show love. 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but what? Rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. Love and truth. Are not enemies, but inseparable friends. The church will be known by our love, and that love includes the truth. It's not separate from the truth. You I, I know I'm saying the same thing a lot, because I want us to hear it, Because we can get that like love, love conscious. Like, we've got to be more loving. And we get in our minds that that means like hiding what we know to be true so that we can show ourselves to be more loving. And that is not love. There's a lot more I could say that, but I'm going to keep going. Because wherever truth and love are going out and prevailing, you can be sure that not far behind are error and hate. The early church was no exception. What John and the other apostles had planted, this is where Jeff started to infringe upon my territory a little bit in Sunday school. John and the other apostles had planted what the Lord was growing as John and the other apostles moved on and and the churches were planted. These churches quickly faced challenges and opposition from those who sought to change the truth challenge the truth, introduce a new truth. Just as Jesus had sent his disciples out into all the world with the gospel message, what we call the Great Commission, John, here in 2 John, gives us the picture in verse 7 of a wicked commission from the father of lies, the devil. Verse 7, "...for many deceivers have gone out into the world." Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. They too go out to win converts. They too come with a message. The particular brand of false teaching that many of the churches faced at that time was Gnosticism. A couple of the key tenets of of Gnosticism are that all flesh is evil... So therefore, Jesus could not have actually been a person of flesh. He only seemed or appeared to take on flesh. Side note, what's the problem if Jesus didn't take on flesh? He didn't really die. He wasn't really the substitute for our sins. If Jesus was not a real man of flesh, we have no hope. But they went around in teaching that that Jesus only appeared to take on flesh. And that's why John says they do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. These, These Gnostic teachers also claimed to have a special secret knowledge given only to them. They would travel from town to town peddling their false teachings often for profit. And by the way, Gnosticism is still going strong in our day. By the way, many adherents in Christian science, Mormonism, some fringe movements in Pentecostalism, you can watch it on TV when some preacher tells you that they have some sort of information that nobody else has. And if you would make some sort of contribution, they will get that information to you. In verse 9, we see that instead of abiding in the teaching of Christ, these deceivers, they prided themselves on going on ahead. That was one of their calling cards. We've gone ahead. We've found new truth. We've found something to add on to the truth that you've already heard. And we must note, church, that teachers who say they have some new teaching for the church are dangerous Say, this is something that you've never heard before. Get out of that area. And by the way, it's, there's nothing new under the sun. It is something that everybody's heard before, just repackaged. But anybody who tells you that they're bringing a new teaching, a newer understanding of the Christian faith is absolutely dangerous. The call on pastors, elders... And all who teach is not to figure out something new, but to dive deeper into the teaching of Christ. Right? He says it in verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. John says here that these teachers are the deceiver, the deceiver and the antichrist. He is telling them very clearly that they are workers of Satan who must be avoided. He says in verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the truth, the gospel, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him, takes part in his wicked works. When John says, do not receive him into your house, I take that to mean a house church. Do not welcome him into your church gatherings. Don't give a platform to this person to share their teaching. Do not allow it to happen. Do not buy your welcome. If next week, instead of Brian Davis preaching, Larry said, I... I've, I had an idea to get this guy come up, and he's got some really fresh ideas about the Christian faith, and he's got some things we haven't read. It's not in our statement of faith, but he might make stretch our thinking. Woe to us for letting him come into our house and deceiving the people that are under our care. Do not give these people a platform, John says. Do not by your welcome show yourself to be partnering with heretics. Heretical teaching takes people from the path of life and leads them down the path of death. Heretical teaching is the broad road. Any teaching that is not centered on the finished work of Jesus Christ... Fully God and fully man, our only source of salvation and forgiveness and eternal hope. Any teaching that diverts you from that path and presents a different type of Jesus or a works-based salvation or a pay-me-and-I'll-tell-you-what's-really-true story, this is heresy that must not be trifled with. Heresy is labeled here by John as wicked works. And all who welcome heresy as participants with wickedness. If time permitted, I'd show you many examples throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Gospels, throughout the book of Acts, throughout the epistles with warnings about not taking part with false teachers, not giving any any area to false teachers to say what they need to say or want to say. And I want to be really clear here. There are lots of Christian churches with whom we differ on various aspects of faith and practice. We prayed for a, a bunch of them this morning. Some of them. There are a bunch more. These are our brothers and sisters. If we, if we have differences on areas of faith or, 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 well, on practice, maybe different aspects of the faith, We still count them as brothers and sisters. We pray for them. We rejoice in their works. We don't stay away from them because we don't see eye to eye on everything. But when a teacher or teaching fundamentally changes the truth of Christ or knocks out a pillar of our faith, inerrancy of Scripture, authority of Scripture, that there is one God, one way to God, that there is a trinity, the one God in three persons. The ter- well, a teaching that turns the grace of God into an excuse for living in awful sin. Works righteousness. When we hear these teachings, we stand against them because they are not the truth. It's not okay to eat a little bit of poison so long as it's mixed in with your real food. And it's certainly not okay to feed that to your children. False teaching is to be avoided and condemned because it removes the way of salvation from people. Jesus told the Pharisees that they went over land and sea to win a single convert, and what happened when they did? You make them twice as much a son of hell as you are yourself. Because they now have a teacher to look at and say, well, they said it was true, so I guess it's true. I shouldn't question it. That's why we avoid false teaching, because the way of salvation is. Uh, obscured or removed. The church of Jesus Christ ought never be ashamed when we hold the line for the truth. There is much more that I could say here and would love to say here, but I am going to move to our last point. Truth's rewards. (laughs) John exhorts these churches to remain in the truth and the rewards are great. Let's just consider as we close a few ways that we see from the text the joy that comes from abiding in the teaching of Jesus Christ. How about one that we talked about earlier? I want you to consider this. It's it's not just this, this, it has a very somber tone, this, this text, but there is a joyful tone as well. It's serious, but there is joy for those who cling to Christ, for whom Christ clings to them, those who hold fast to the truth. And we talked about this earlier. For all who hold to the truth of Jesus Christ, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son in truth and love. We look to the truth and we are reminded that these are are ours, grace, mercy, and peace. Do you know of the Father's grace through the Son? Have you experienced it? The grace of God. Do you know of His merciful pardon? Do you know the peace that comes through reconciliation with your heavenly Father? Christ has made peace between us and God through the blood of His cross. He has made peace between us and one another through the blood of His cross. The peace that is yours as you make known all of your requests to the Father. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. You you have the peace of God promised to you that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as you make your requests known to Him. Move away from the truth, and these are all forfeited, but in Christ they are yours. How about this one? Those who abide in truth, John says here, have, in verse 9, the Father and the Son. Jesus said in John chapter 17, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Believer in Christ, by grace through faith, you have both the Father and the Son with you, for you, Eternally for you, on your side. You have a Savior who always lives to make intercession for you, who is your brother, who shares his inheritance with you. You have a Heavenly Father whose heart toward you is love. And fatherly care, who sees you, believer in Christ, as he sees his son Jesus, who calls you his child too. This is the truth that in Christ we are called beloved children, co heirs with Christ, heirs of Christ and of the Father. And all that is theirs is ours too. And finally, this morning, we have the joy of passing on what Jude calls the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. John says here in verse 8, I thought this was an interesting sounding sentence, Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward." So watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. We don't want you to lose what we have worked for. It's interesting. What, what was he worried that they were going to lose? I bet you can guess based on the theme of this message. Was John worried that they were going to lose their individual salvation? Well, we know that, that that can't be the case because no amount of work can earn salvation, nor can any lack of work cause us to lose it if it is truly ours. But you know what can be lost? The truth. The Apostle Paul talks In 1 Corinthians 3, about how teachers need to be careful how they build upon the foundation, which is Christ, that they will be rewarded or not rewarded based on how they have built on that foundation. But what happens if the church changes its foundation? What if a church decides that the gospel is too confrontational or too exclusive or too outdated? or not palatable? What if a church, what if the elders of a church decide, you know what, listen, that resurrection story, probably not true, may or may not be true, we don't think it's true, but there's a lot of good life lessons that we can learn no matter what. So let's just teach the life lessons of living resurrection life. What happens if the leaders of a church decide to proclaim self help and self reliance? What if a church stops saying that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, fully authoritative, inspired Word of God? What if a church starts saying that Jesus was a good man, but not the Messiah? Resurrection is not possible, but follow his example of love. What if a church starts saying that it's okay to compromise on moral issues so that the world will like us and we will look like them? When this happens, the church loses what John worked for. The church loses salvation when the church loses the truth. We have nothing to offer except a cheap imitation of something the world can do better. And we will leave our converts, like the Pharisees did, twice as much sons of hell as we ourselves are when we lose the truth. But it is not so for us, brothers and sisters we have the words of life. We are called to commend the works of God from one generation to the next. Brothers and sisters, rejoice this morning in those who have held out the word of truth to you. Parents, grandparents, loved ones, Friends, coworkers, who told you the word of truth, who told you about the hope that is yours in Christ alone, those who have gone before us and said, hold the line. Do not sacrifice the truth in the name of appeasing the world around us. Do not sacrifice the truth because it won't make sense to somebody's natural mind. Thank God for those who went before us and said, Hold the line. Don't depart from this. Abide in the teaching. Because in the teaching is life. In the teaching is real hope, real salvation. And when you lose it, you lose all that. And there is no hope. Joy Community Fellowship, may we be marked... As a body who holds dearly to the truth of Christ. Because we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. May we know the love that comes only from the one who is the way and the truth and the life. May we rejoice in it. May it shape us. And may we pass it on from one generation to the next. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is truth. And in your truth is revealed hope for the world. That all who believe in Jesus Christ, all who confess their inability to save themselves and look to Christ and see a perfect life lived on their behalf. Sacrificial death died for the forgiveness of sins of all who believe. Victorious resurrection from the grave. All who believe. Will be cleansed from unrighteousness. And given the righteousness of Christ. Rescued from our sin. And given the hope of eternal life. Our Lord calls us to believe. May we never depart. From that truth. May we never. Never feel that we need to change a word of your truth to accommodate somebody else. May we never tolerate anything that departs from your truth. And we can only do this by your grace, by your empowering, by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for those who have gone before us, and may we be found faithful in our generation. In Jesus' name, amen.